We're continuing today in our series in John's Gospel, and we've got to part 13, and this takes us to John chapter 8. And the title today is Light and Truth Bringing Freedom. Light and Truth Bringing Freedom. And my goal today is that we would take in the truth of Jesus and truly experience freedom to take in that truth from Jesus and truly experience freedom. So an overview of what I want to do, first of all, to look at the story, then to look at falsehoods that we believe, and then to end by taking this truth and really trying to experience freedom from it. So uh, an overview of where we're up to in the Gospel of John. Uh, I thought I'd give you like a picture of how John works and, and where we're at, we're up in, where we are in this map. You can divide John's gospel into two parts. The, the first part is what some people call the book of signs because there are seven signs there, seven miracles that Jesus does. And it's all about whether people believe or whether they reject. And so constantly that question is there, are they going to believe or they reject? And then we end up with it. It's uh, wrapping up the book of signs very clearly. And then it begins Jesus' private time with his disciples, followed by his death and resurrection. And then there's a conclusion at the end, which matches the introduction right at the beginning. So two halves it falls into. So we're in the, the book of signs. And the book of signs, I'm going to give you this little picture of it. Um, it starts off with a prologue in, in chapter 1, ends up with an epilogue in chapter 12. And then we have um, uh, the first set of miracles, the wedding, Nicodemus, woman at the well, the child healed. And then we go into some things that happened at the feast. Sabbath healing, Jesus sees a man, withered man, take up your bed and walk. And then we have... Uh, we have a whole section, verses 6 through 8, which is just Jesus talking. And it's the hardest part of John, because there's not not much action, there's just Jesus speaking. And first of all, he says, I'm the bread of life. And then there's a, what we did the last week was, I am the living water. And then this week's, I am the light of the world. Those are the three sections, those three chapters. And then we go back to an event. We have the Sabbath healing, chapters 9 and 10, a man born blind. And that kind of matches the Sabbath healing that opens this section, which is taking up your bed and walk. Very, very similar. We're doing that in the next part of John, but it's very similar to the previous one. It's quite interesting how it kind of echoes it. And also, the Sabbath healing is like linked to the man being born blind because, sorry, the Sabbath, the second Sabbath healing, the man being born blind, is linked to Jesus being the light of the world. So they kind of connect together. He's bringing light. And then we have Lazarus raised from the dead, which is like the sign above all signs. That's the mega sign that Jesus is the son of God. And that's the point that, you know, people don't believe that. You know, they've seen a dead man, four days dead, walking out of a tomb. If they're not going to believe that sign, what are they going to believe? And that's the question that's left there at the end of chapter 11. So, book of signs, we're right in the middle of that, just past the middle, we're chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. But this is one of the most difficult parts of John's gospel because it's a lot of talking and sometimes the talking is hard to kind of get to grips with what's the line of argument that's flowing. 
So um, bear with us on this. Once we're through chapter 8 today, we're back to stories of Jesus doing things, and I'll be showing some video, and it'll be much more straightforward to comprehend. So this is the last of the tough sections. I'll say that to start with. However, I think it's it's more straightforward than what we did last week, which was the living water, which was some quite complex interactions with the Pharisees. So what we're going to do now is to go into the story. I'm not going to read all the story. I'm just going to read to focus on the second, the second part of it, the major part of it. But I'm just going to start at uh, verse 12 of chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke out again, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is one of a few places in John's gospel. There are actually seven places Jesus says, I am dot, dot, dot. So this is, I am the light of the world. And uh, this is a very evocative, this idea of light. Um, So I I want to ask you, um, light is a strong image. When do we use light, like light and darkness in our own in our own proverbs or language, when might you use the word light in a positive sense? Uh, things are really dark for me now. And I'm just going through some dark times. That would be something we would use it. We might say there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we might say the future is bright. Uh, so we use this kind of metaphor all the time. Can you think of any places in the Old Testament where there's this image of light being in good? For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so that's got the idea of of light being guiding, like helping us see our way. Um, it's uh, the strongest connection, however, for between... Um, uh, light and Jesus is actually in the first chapter of John. So we read, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not mastered it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to, about the light that all might believe through him. He was not that the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so this idea then that is in this passage is, is keyed into a lot of things, a lot of ideas that are in there. Oh, one more verse. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And so uh, Jesus is coming as the light. There's all this imagery of taking us out of darkness, of taking us out of, out of being lost, of not knowing the way. And Jesus comes in and he shows us the way, but he also gives us hope. He's the light at the end of the tunnel. And so this image of light is a, a very strong one. He's tying into these Old Testament pictures. So how did they reply to that? 
Well, they were not very happy with the statement of Jesus. Uh, they um, basically um, felt that Jesus was, you know, what's he claiming here? Who are you to claim this? Who are you to say that you are the light? And so he says, um, they say to him, who are you? Jesus replied, what I've told you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the father who sent me is truthful. And the things that I have heard from him, I speak to the world. In other words, the, the light that Jesus brings, he's plugged into the Father. And so it's, it's God's light that he's bringing. They did not understand he was telling them about his Father. Then Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak just what the Father taught me. So in other words, again, the light that he's speaking is coming from God. And the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone because I always do those things that please him. While he was saying these things, many people believed him. Now, you've seen this statement before in John. Many people believed him. And then it turned out that actually their belief was kind of superficial. So when we, when we read this, we're kind of suspicious. Did they really believe him? Uh, what what's happening here? And we're going to see our suspicions are justified. There is a problem in the belief that they have. And uh, so what I'm going to do then is to go through the passage that we have, and I'm going to take us through and we're going to follow the flow of ideas here. So I've titled this, The Truth Sets God's Children Free. Then Jesus said to those Judeans who had believed him, these are the ones that apparently believed him, if you abide in my word, which I've put there, continue in my teaching, Jesus literally says, abide in my word, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this raises a question about, you know, being free. Are they, and they pick up on this. Are we really? Are you saying we're not free? They say, we're descendants of Abraham, they replied, and have never been anyone's slaves. How can you say you will become free? Jesus answers them, I tell you the solemn truth. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. If the son sets you free you will be really free. Uh, then Jesus continues, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you want to kill me because my word has no place in you. I am telling you the things I've seen while with the father, you practice the, thing, the things you've seen from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus replied, if you're Abraham's children, you would be doing the deeds of Abraham, but now you're trying to kill me, a man who's told you the truth I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Now, I'm going to just pause this for a minute and talk about what's happening here. So where we get our truth from is kind of important. I don't know if you've seen any um, conspiracy theories recently. There's lots of them out there. My favorite conspiracy theory in terms of being weird is that Finland does not exist. Have you heard that? Finland does not exist. You can Google it. 
And apparently, it's um, the pilots who fly over Finland are bribed to say it doesn't exist. It's a Russian conspiracy so they can have fishing in the Baltic Sea or something like that. And while I was looking at that, I saw another one. Apparently, Australia doesn't exist. That's a conspiracy theory. So anybody who's visited Australia, maybe you can... You can vouch for that. Um, so, you know, there's lots of them out there. And uh, the way that the internet works is once you search for something and you find it, then the algorithm will feed you more stuff along that line. And you may have met people that can tell you very, very certainly, the, we, men, humans never landed on the moon. It was all faked, you know, it was all done in the desert. And, and they can tell you, and they've got, and, and where's their truth coming from? This is the important question. Where are we getting our truth from? And if we're getting it from Twitter, then maybe it's not as strong as if we're getting it from somewhere that's a bit more authentic. But the real question is, where are we getting our truth? This is the fundamental question. Who are we getting it from? Where is it from? And, you know, when you have arguments, people have arguments about the environment, about politics, about you know, what's the best thing for your, your health, whatever they are, the real question is, well, where did you read that? Now, where did you find that out? Was that a reputable source? Was, did that really happen? Because the, ultimately our problem is with our source of truth. And usually when two people are disagreeing, it's actually their sources of truth that are disagreeing. So what this is coming down to in this discussion, Jesus says, um, I am the truth. You believe me, you'll believe the truth. This comes down to the question, well, where is your truth from? And Jesus uses the, is the image of, of like the f- truth coming from your father, um, whether you know, if you're, if you're Abraham's children, you're deriving the truth from that tr- tradition or if you are Satan's child, you'll be deriving your truth from his teaching, his truth. So what it comes down to then is that Jesus claims that if you really have the truth, you'll be free. This is his claim. Have my truth, uh, you'll be free. They say, well, who says we're slaves? We're free. And Jesus says, well, if you really had truth, why would you be wanting to kill me? You can't be living in truth if you want to kill me. You claim you're living in Abraham's truth. But actually, he says, they say Abraham's our father. Jesus replied, well, if Abraham was your father, you'd be doing his deeds. You'd have his truth. But look, what's happening here? He says, now you're trying to kill me. A man who told you the truth I heard from God Abraham didn't do this. It can't be Abraham's truth that you're living in. So this leads to the question, and this is another place where John has cast this in this beautiful poetic form where he starts off with with, with one topic and it, it, it works its way through to a central point and then backs down to the same topic. So we have uh, you people, okay, he says, if you're Abraham's children, you'll be doing the deeds of Abraham. You're not. So who, whose deeds are you doing? You're doing the deeds of your father. They say, um, we, we only have only one father. It's God. And Jesus says, if God were your father, in other words, if you're getting your truth from him, then, uh, I've not come from, uh, sorry, I've come from God. 
I am now here. I've not come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot accept my word. In other words, you can't be getting truth from the right place or you would accept what I'm saying is true. You're judging it by some standard and it's not the standard of God. So you can't accept my word. And that matches this up here. Um, you want to kill me because my word has no place in you. And then we come to the question, who really is their father? You people are from your father, the devil. That is whom they're deriving their truth. You people are from your father, the devil, and you want to do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. So in other words, your desire to kill me is deriving from his truth. Does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, he speaks according to his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I'm telling you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can prove me guilty of any sin? So this then is his uh, conclusion about them, that they are deriving, they don't believe him because they're deriving their truth from Satan. And he ends up, if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who believes, the one who belongs to God listens and responds to God's words. You don't listen and respond because you don't belong to God. Jesus is being pretty strong in these words. Um, and this is the, the argument that he's making as he's going through. And I would like to spend most of our time on this concept of what the truth we get from Jesus and what it actually, what difference it makes in, in my life now and your life now. But before I do that, I just like to complete the chapter because we have a very, very powerful bit of, of, uh, language here. And we get a, a discussion now and each block goes from Judeans to Jesus to Judeans to Jesus to Judeans, to Jesus, and we're going to go back through. This translation uses the word Judeans rather than Jews, and which I think is a good choice because um, a lot of anti-Semitic feeling has come down through millennia because of the word Jews being used. But the word Jews, actually, they were called Jews because they lived in Judea. That's where the word comes from. It's, it's um, Israelites who lived in Judea. And so it's specifically Judeans who are being spoken of here. So it's actually more accurate to refer to them as Judeans rather than Jews. But the problem is that ethnically, um, the, 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 the people of the Jewish race are now, are now uh, use the word Jews. And so people have said, oh, well, it was the Jews that killed Jesus. But it, it's, they may have been, you know, ethnically descended from the same group. But here it's specifically speaking about the Judeans at this time. So I think it's good to translate it Judeans and be really precise about what's being spoken of here. So the Judeans replied, aren't we correct in saying that you're a Samaritan and are possessed by demons? So, you know, the worst thing you can say about somebody is they're a Samaritan. You know, they're, they're uh, not really descendants of Abraham. Jesus answered, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, yet you dishonor me. 
I'm not trying to get praise for myself. There's one who demands it, and he also judges. I tell you the solemn truth. If anyone keeps my word, means follows my teaching, he will never see death. So Jesus is making stronger and stronger claims through this chapter. And uh, if we go back to um, our, our picture of um, the, this part of, of John, we see in this middle section, 6 through 8, Jesus starts off being quite oblique about who he is. He doesn't say it clearly, because otherwise they're going to um, either kill him or make him king. And even at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, they try and make him king. Um, but he gradually reveals it, because he knows once he's made his full claim, that that's going to be it. It's going to precipitate the end of his ministry. And so right at the end of this section, he begins to be very clear about who he is. And then we have the Sabbath healing and then, then Lazarus raised from the dead. And then it goes into his last few days. And so Jesus is gradually being clearer about who he is in this teaching in order, structured revelation about himself in order they don't, um, they don't kill him before they have heard all he wants to say. So, uh, so he says, uh, he's made a claim. If anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Then the Judeans respond. Now we know you're possessed by a demon. Both Abraham and the prophets died. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never experience death. You aren't greater than our father Abraham who died, are you? And the prophets died too. Who do you claim to be? So here is the, the question that is being asked repeatedly in these central parts of this part of John. Jesus replied, I glorify myself. My glory is worthless. The one who glorifies me is my father about whom you people say he is our God. Yet you do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I did not know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham was overjoyed to see my day and he saw it and was glad. You may wonder what that's about. It's actually about Isaac. You know, Isaac was, was, the name means laughter because Sarah laughed when, she, with joy when she heard she was going to have a son. Why, what, what's that about? Well, both of them were dead, effectively, in their ability to have children. And out of that death, life came. Out of the hopelessness, hope came. And uh, this was like a picture of Jesus coming, that this would be laughter. This would be ultimate life from the death. And so Abraham prophetically could see God's future salvation. Then the Judeans said, you're not 50 years old, have you seen Abraham? This is an interesting, people have commented, well, Jesus was 30. You know, that would be, you know, if you're 30 and somebody says, you're not even 50, how do you feel about that? Not very good. So it's a suggestion that Jesus, that the, the work that Jesus had done, this like ministry, had really taken its toll on him physically and he actually looked older than his years. And there's a prophecy in Isaiah that suggests that he didn't actually look that attractive. Um, and um, all these paintings we have of Jesus where he just looks wonderful. 
And perhaps he actually did look that attractive. He looked kind of worn down. Anyway, you're not at 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth. Before Abraham came into existence, I am. Then they picked up stones to throw at him. Can anybody tell me what's going on there? Why are they throwing stones at him at this point? Does anyone know? Yeah, he's just said the name of Yahweh. He said before Abraham was, my name's Yahweh. Because when Moses saw the burning bush and he spoke to this this person in the burning bush and at the end he said, what is your name? And God said, my name is I am which is Yahweh, it's the Hebrew for Yahweh. My name is I am. And so the, 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 the personal name from God, for God in the Old Testament, uh, when he's, God is in relationship, the name is used as I am. And Jesus says, I am. And this is, the, this is like an absolutely fundamental claim to be God. And so this is why they pick up stones. He has blasphemed God and he's going to die. And so they're going to throw stones at him. But Jesus was hidden from them. That sounds like it's a supernatural thing that happened and went out from the temple area. So um, I, it's important that we take all this together in the passage because it's all to do with Jesus' revelation of the truth and their rejection of the truth and, their, and w- w- how they feel about this truth being revealed. So I'd like to move back now to thinking about how this relates to us. And we've talked about the story, and I'd like now to talk about falsehoods that we believe. And then we're going to talk about how we experience this. So, how does the truth set you free? I'd like to just throw it open for a question. What falsehoods do Christians often believe. Um, I'm just going to give you a sample. Um, I have to do everything perfectly or I'll be rejected. What other falsehoods might we believe? I have to be good enough to get into heaven. God has run out of patience with me. God is angry at me. I asked Ruth because I discovered that she actually did this very topic last night at the women's gathering. <laughs> and yeah, you can come here, you can stand here. And so uh, they actually went through some lies and some truths. So let's tell us some of the things you found. Yeah, yeah so we, we were talking about different um, things that all of us, we all wrote down some lies that we were believing. So we had things like, um, God doesn't hear me, or like, he's tired of me. Um, like, he, um, he he's never going to intervene on my behalf. Things like that. There's so so easy to like just twist what God is like and what his character is like. So we were just exploring a bit of that yesterday. And you had some verses that answered that? Um, yeah, so I mean, like, I don't know if I could even give the specific references, but if if you believe that like God doesn't hear your prayer, there are so many times in the Psalms when the Psalmist says like, Lord, you have heard me. I know that you hear me. Like, you've heard me in your sanctuary. Um, the, the lie that... Um, you've like gone too far and like made too many mistakes for God. I think the book of Hosea is an amazing, um, that it speaks to that in an amazing way because, um, that there is so many points where God's like, how can I give you up Israel? Like you are my child. I'm like, I'm not going to forget you. My, my anger is going to be set aside and I have compassion for you. 
Um, yeah. yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, I have some other suggestions. Uh, God only loves me when I perform well. Un- uh, I can't forgive myself. I can't ultimately trust anyone. And you can probably add a lot more onto this list. Um, so um, uh, then there's some others. If I say or do dot, 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 people will think I'm stupid. Um, there's something inherently wrong or different about me. Um, so I'm going to go through some examples now of where uh, Jesus is specifically, Jesus' truth is specifically countering some of these. And I'm trying to take them mainly from the Gospel of John. But I want to think on the other side of things about the lies. The very first lie that we have in the Bible, it comes from Satan. And the very first lie is, you can't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. Isn't that amazing? Because that is such a, a question for us now. You know, can I really trust God? Does really, does God really care about me? And, um, so I want to, to look at Satan's lies and then look at, um, Jesus' truth. You cannot trust God to look after your best interests. What's the truth that Jesus said that would, would counter that? Well, God put you before even the life of his own son. And Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world, he gave his own son. So this is Jesus' teaching, and that dispels the lie. What more could dispel that lie than he would give his own son? And um, and I'm really, the goal this morning is that we really get hold of these. I'm not just putting them up here for a, for a bit of intellectual interest. We need to grasp these. So I want you, everything that's in red here, I want you to just write on your heart. Take it in, because this, these words will set you free. God only loves me when I perform well. And we had that just a little earlier. Uh, how would we answer that from Jesus? Well, you, we have to actually read further on in John, but there's somebody in John, one of his disciples performed very badly. Do you remember who it was? Peter. And uh, Jesus' commitment and love to broken people like Peter is there as a revelation of the love of the Father. I want, to say, I want to say to you, Peter is in there. That story of Peter is in there because of you and me. So you and me can take that in. That, that, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing with Peter is just so bad. He didn't just deny Jesus, but he boasted beforehand that he would be the last person to deny him. And he's filled with, he's covered with shame afterwards. And Jesus restores him. And that is for us. So, uh, that, we have to, we have to take that story in with Peter. Um, I have to do, um, everything perfectly or I will be rejected. I have to do everything perfectly or I'll be rejected. Anything that Jesus said that would, would, uh, um, match up with that? Well, uh, what I have, two things. First of all, we're gonna come on to this uh, in in the next section, but Jesus is a shepherd. And the whole purpose of a shepherd is because the sheep go astray, the sheep need, 
bringing back, they need caring for, they need guiding. Um, they're stupid, you know, they, they've got to have somebody who can look after them. And, and so the, if sheep were perfect, they wouldn't need a shepherd. And so the whole model of Jesus being our shepherd implies we've got, we've got many shortcomings. And that's why we need him. Uh, so also I would say that if you look at who Jesus went to, it's the broken people Jesus was attracted to. Um, it had a special heart for the abandoned, for the despised, for the people who were not cared for. The guy who was healed by the pool. You know, he'd been ignored for decades, 38 years, and he's a nothing, um, and he's failing and nobody cares about him, but Jesus has an interest in him. So you look at the heart of Jesus, and he's revealing the character of God as somebody who actually rejects the proud and the people that have it all together. So the fact that you feel you're imperfect is is a positive thing, because that makes you open to Jesus. Next thing, I am so alone. I'm so alone. And there's something in our hearts, there's a deep aloneness, because Satan has caused separation. When Satan caused original sin, it broke that connection with God, and it broke the connection with one another. Adam and Eve felt shame as soon as they had sinned. Even even with one another, they, they, they tried to cover themselves up, their nakedness. And shame and aloneness are connected together. And Jesus' answer to that is very, very specific. Jesus says in, in several places, but he specifically says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. And later on in the second half of John, there's lots of directly speaking into this to his disciples. I'm there for you. I won't let you go. I will hold on to you. I will keep you. You're mine. I will let one, you're one of my sheep. You're on my, in my, in my hands. I will never lose any of my sheep. And that aloneness, Jesus has come to undo. And that's to speak into the lie of Satan. And then we have some more other ones. You failed and sinned against God too many times. You've done it again. Could you think you can go and ask forgiveness again after you've done it this many times? Come on. Like, you've failed so many times. Well, do you remember Peter said to Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. In other words, don't even count. So, uh, would, do, do we think that God actually counts even though he tells us not to? He tells us we should forgive indefinitely, but God is counting. That wouldn't make sense. God's forgiveness is like the Jesus, the kind of forgiveness Jesus told us to have. It doesn't count. And so Jesus told us that forgiveness, his forgiveness continues and continues. Um, if you had what she has or he has, your life would be amazing. Is that something you ever have? You know, it's thou shalt not covet is the commandment. And that's one of Satan's lies. You know, ooh, look at that. Ooh, wouldn't that be great if you had that? Wouldn't that be great? Or if, you know, you didn't have that problem. Um, and this envy is there in all of us. And it's so insidious in all of us. And Jesus 
speaks into this so many times. He says, life is not in possessions. I can truly satisfy you. I'm the living water. I'm the one who flows. I can meet your needs. Don't get dazzled by possessions. It's nothing. It's just something fades away. Put treasure in heaven. Here's another one. If people knew what I was really like, they would reject me. People knew, like, I can put up a good front for people, but if anybody could see my thoughts, my heart, they'd reject me. Is that something anybody here struggles with? Probably just about everyone. Um, I want to talk about the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. It was because he loved her even in her shame. That was the thing that really got her, that he saw what she was like and he raised her up. He really understood and he re- didn't reject her. And this is the thing about Jesus, that he really sees you. He sees everything about you. He sees worse things than you even see yourself in you. And he wants to raise you up because his heart is for you. And this is when she saw it, this is what that filled that woman with joy that she just loved him. She wept and her tears, we, she washed his feet with them and she wiped them with her hair because she saw that he would never reject her, even though he knew what she was like. And then my last, my, my second to last one, the Samaritan woman felt deeply seen by Jesus, but he didn't reject her. She went back and she said, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. Like, and she didn't say, and he still loved me and he offered me, he offered me to be my savior. And he was the one who saw her. He saw her shame and yet he didn't reject her. And then finally, you need to look after number one. Hey, you need to look after yourself. Um, you, no one else is going to look after you. You need to do it. And Jesus says, lose your life and you'll find it. Give it to me and I'll give it you back ten times more. So I want to say, I want to suggest to you that all of these are lies and specifically in Jesus' teaching and writing, he is addressing these lies. And one of the great things about reading the Gospels is you are seeing those lies overturned. And the Old Testament as well. Um, Ruth was mentioning some Psalms and that, you know, that there's this great source as well. But specifically in the Gospels, not just in what Jesus said, but also what he did. Like, could you see what he would do if you were in that story? If you were there, how would he look at you? And immediately say, well, of course, he would, he would love me. He would, he would care about me. Of course, because that's his character. And, um, it, I, I have to say that for myself, it's just life reading Jesus' words. It just feels like life to me. I struggle just as you do with just as many of these lies. And you probably think, oh, Andrew, he, why does he struggle with life? No, I do. And I tell you that you may be surprised but the, about who struggles with this kind of thing. But, but even the people you might think are most competent struggle with these lies. We all do. And I have to do this just as much as you do to say, no, I'm not worthless. I'm not a failure. Jesus has said this, and I'm going to receive this into my life. So... I want to say that hearing Jesus' teaching, hearing what he says, reading about him is one thing, but 
it's a different thing. It's another thing to really take it in. And that's why I've put two points there. Falsehoods we believe and taking the truth in and experiencing freedom. And so I'd like to end just by um, really trying to consolidate this. And I'd ask the worship team to come up again. Um, Jesus here is proclaiming the gospel when he talks about these words. He says, take in my truth. I will lead you out of slavery. He says, if the sun sets you free, you will be really free. You'll be truly free. And ultimately, this is what it comes down to. You have a choice about where to get your truth from. And this is what I'm going to challenge you with this morning. You have a choice here. You can say, I'm going to choose right now to stop listening to those lies and to start listening to Jesus. Because I can promise you there's a voice inside all of your heads telling lies. I can promise you that. Um, don't tell me you've never heard a voice that says you're not good enough. Don't tell me you've never heard that. Um, and the key to light, the key to truth is getting it from the right place. As we said with the internet, you don't get your truth from Twitter. You get your truth from the reliable sources. And Jesus says, trust in me and you won't have to waste a second worrying about being good enough because I will set you free. And so this is the, tr- the, 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 um, the question that faces all of us. Are we going to go to Jesus for our truth? Are we going to go to the lies that are there within us? Jesus says, I am the ultimate source of truth because I am from God. I am the way. If you trust in me, then you will have life. If you don't, you will die. And this is the fundamental truth that Jesus is bringing in this passage. Without me, you'll die. I am the only source of eternal life. Come to me. I will give you eternal life. And fundamentally, that is the most important question. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that is the key truth that you have to take in, that Jesus is the source of life. And that's what he spent the last two chapters in John we've been going over talking about. I'm the bread of life. I'm the, I'm the living water. I'm the source of life. So that's where we start, that he's our life. But I want to challenge you now. You have a choice. Are you going to listen to those lies this week? Are you going to listen to, or are you going to listen to Jesus' words? What I would suggest that you do is that you, if ever you're confronted by a lie, or whenever you're confronted by a lie, write some scriptures down or put some on your phone or whatever that answer it. Um, I believe Ruth has some good scriptures if you're looking for some. But uh, I've put some up here. But better still, read them yourself. Start reading through Jesus and, and just underline them. Bring them out, copy them onto your phone, have them there and feed that truth into you rather than the lies. Because that truth will set you free. It will set you free to know that you are so loved by God that he gave you his son for you, that he loves you with a passion that nothing can, the fires of hell can't, can't, can't get rid of his passion for you. It is so strong. If you really get hold of that and you feel loved, that will empower you. So I'm going to pray now for all of us, including myself, that we 
choose to listen to this truth and it deeply enters into us. Jesus, we thank you that you're the light of the world and this light is truth. And we thank you, Lord, that your truth sets us free. And Jesus, we pray your truth will sink into us and it will dispel the lies. And Lord, we pray that we will really receive your love, your forgiveness, your compassion, and your healing this morning. We pray, Lord, that your truth will fill us now and we will walk in your freedom. We pray it in God's name. Amen.